I've shipped bug fixes all the time without people necessarily having to be notified. Oh, by the way, this fixes that problem. Wait, you've shipped bug fixes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally. When I'm not shipping bugs, <laughs> I ship bug fixes, you know, just to keep them on their toes. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Keep people on the street. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 133 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I'm also joined by Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So um, are we going to do Ask MTJC first, Jaime? What do you think? I think you should go for it. I was not involved with this Ask MTJC, and since I was on the train, I don't actually know the entire chain. I just sort of briefly looked at it. Maybe you should talk to the Sure. Okay. Oh, you took the train from Portland down to Portland. Uh, I did that this weekend, but uh, just today I came back from Portland to uh, Seattle. Cool. All right. So, yeah, we were talking, uh, the three of us, I guess, Mark, myself, and um, uh, Greg Heo were talking about uh, Black Box, because a new puzzle came out last week, and we were talking about it, and try not to do any spoilers here, but, uh, and one of the things that, that Ryan's added to the application is the ability to buy a really cool-looking um, t-shirt for, uh, which, you know, in, in 20 years will be like the rare Atari t-shirt you see around that everybody's going to reprint it, but... Uh, we were discussing some of the puzzles and stuff like that, and, and for some reason I've got more puzzles than Mark has, and having to solve them and stuff like that. And so it was a back and forth discussion about uh, about that. And we heard from Sean Marston, a supporter of the show, about uh, his desire to get a, a T-shirt, but of course, you know, shipping to the UK is a bit expensive. Um, I think Greg met uh, Ryan the other day and got a T-shirt. Although I thought Greg said he doesn't wear anybody other people's brands. Hmm. And uh, Sean, uh, or sorry, Ryan uh, replied back to myself and Sean about the T-shirts and about the program. I think there's about nine days left, so by the time this airs, there'll be five le- five days left on the on the program to get a T-shirt from Black Box, which is kind of cool. And uh, yeah, so if you haven't updated your app yet and you're a fan of Black Box, go ahead and do that, and you'll be able to order a T-shirt or get to the link to order the T-shirt from inside. That's that. Okay. Cool. I mean, I I haven't really gotten into the game at all, but I know it's super popular, and I've uh, I've joked a little bit about <laughs> some of the like nefarious things you could you could add to this sort of game. Like, um, I went into the app store to see what the minimum version was. I was like, hmm, what if you had one that required you to use iOS eight and then nine and then ten to solve the puzzle? Wow, that'd right? be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I started out more devious, like, oh, I wonder if he supports, you know, like the 3GS or something. And the only way you can solve the puzzle is by running the app on a 3GS or something. But I guess that's probably unreasonable. Right, right. Well, there are there are some puzzles that you can only use on, for example, uh, a phone that has forced touch. So if you're on an old iPhone 6 or something like that, that puzzle just doesn't show up. There are some stuff like that. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, hmm. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, because I have a 6 Plus, right? So I don't have Force Touch. Yeah. Oh, that's mm. interesting. Wait, you... Wait, you have a 6 Plus or a 6 Plus S? I have a 6 Plus, original. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, that makes the mystery of the number of puzzles available even even deeper. Yes, it does. So, should, uh, should I go into that, or is, or is that... Uh... <laughs> 
sure. too much detail. So, so one thing I've I noticed is that I, I've now finished all of the puzzles that are available on my phone. So uh, that gives me uh, 68 solved puzzles. Now, when I look at the leaderboard uh, in Game Center, which is available inside the app, it seems like all of the top leaders have solved 69 puzzles. So somehow there's, there's one puzzle that I seem to be missing. Uh, so I asked Tim about it, and uh, it, it turns out that he has... 70 puzzles available on his phone uh, and there's there's two of them that that he has that just don't show up on my phone for for whatever reason I, I have no idea why but what makes it extra mysterious is that you'd think that at least one of all those many many leaders uh, would have the seven the 70th puzzle that that Tim is that Tim mm-hmm. is showing but it doesn't seem like anyone either no one has or no one has completed it I, I don't know I don't know which it is which is surprising because the leader of the top of the game center is is Ryan McLeod, the yeah. leader of the of the app. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's kind of mysterious, especially if you don't have the the force touch available ones. Um, maybe maybe you have something else instead. Actually, it's possible. Maybe it substitutes in a long press for force touch or something like that. It's possible. But uh, but yeah. So so we, I think we need to reach out to Ryan at some point and figure out what this mysterious seventieth puzzle is and. You know, what is actually Ooh. the right number of puzzles that we're supposed to have? How many hmm. on that leaderboard have are at the top? Oh, there's like, hundreds. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten that deep down to count them, but there's, yeah, there's lots. Lots and lots and lots. Hundreds, not not thousands or tens of thousands sort of thing? All right, you're going to make me check. Because uh, I'm curious here, because you... I, I'm, I'm revising my thing where I joke, like, oh, like, you'll go back to iOS 8 and, like, oh... Why couldn't you check for iOS 11, knowing that you're sending a little treat that only the internal Apple employees who do have access to 11 mm, right, are, playing, right. are playing that? And I was like, oh, yes, I've got one more puzzle than you do, because somebody's okay. looking for a system version. Yeah, so clearly I was exaggerating with my thousands and hundreds, but because it only lists the top 25, but uh, mm-hmm. all of the top 25 are 69. And I am ranked number four hundred and seventy-one with my sixty-eight. So wow. somewhere, you know, between twenty-five and four hundred and seventy people have solved uh, sixty-nine of them. You can tap um, sh- uh, show more, by the way. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm I have oh, sixty-three completed, right. uh, and there's uh, I'm position eighteen seventy-eight. So, and there are three hundred and seventy-five thousand people in Game Center. I mean. Wow, but the number yeah, at so the get top on, get on the board. Get on board, man! You're yeah. falling behind. The number at the top is reasonable for it to be that small number of people using um, iOS 11 and playing that game. <laughs> so I, I don't know. We'll find out maybe well, at some point. So I've hit show more a few times, and now I'm down to 150 people, all at 69. But but again, it it, it can't be that. Those people have extra ones that I don't have uh, because of Tim. Tim is this mysterious anomaly person who has seventy of them, and he's not, you know, work, working on iOS eleven, or he doesn't have some special no. advanced beta version or anything like that. As far as I know, well, I, I did. I did use Photoshop to put my uh, my full screen together, but you know, 
Because you can't. Oh. There's so many puzzles, Jaime, here that they don't fit on the on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't cheat, Mark. I didn't put an extra one in there. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you cheated, but yeah, it might have been a mistake, right? It's possible. No, 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 no. Okay. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because you're right. I counted them a couple of times yesterday, and that's why I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, my brain was hurting too much to count them, so I just went and put it together in Photoshop with a couple of screenshots, right? So. Yep. And in case anyone is doing this on their phone, we're we're leaving out. There's sort of six icons that are kind of game maintenance stuff. Like there's a there's one for liking and one for sharing. We're not counting those as the actual puzzles. The puzzles are just the the lights that you can actually turn on inside the game. Right. Okay. So it's weird. Alrighty. So we have some follow up. Um, the, a friend of mine posted uh, a link on the top ten. Swift articles in the past year, and this is version 2017, so I don't know how it's the past year. And number one on there is a to- is a post we've talked about in the past, which is the Algorithm Club uh, from the Ray Wernerlich folks. Actually, it was Kelvin that posted this on, uh, hey, Kelvin, who posted this on our Slack, which I, where I saw it. But there's some interesting other ones, you know, macOS Development Toolkit. I don't know if you guys have looked at this stuff, but uh, tips on becoming a better Swift developer... Essential details about strings in Swift, mini projects in Swift, continuous delivery for iOS and Mac apps, you know, uh, Swift Swift introduction to algorithms is a different group, Swift syntax cheat codes, and of course, Swift Pokemon, closure semantics, catch them all. So that's uh, the top 10, Swift, Swift top 10 articles in the past year. Have you guys Mm. looked at any of these? I'm going to have to look. Yeah, yeah. The syntax cheat codes I hadn't seen, so I'm going to have to look at that one because uh, I think I've seen some code kind of like this that I was like, what the heck is this doing? Um, says I'm still learning Swift and still getting used to it. Um, yeah, I, said, I, I looked at a few of them. Uh, they, they're, they're all fairly introductory, but that's probably good. Um, that probably you know helps with their popularity too because uh, a lot of people are, are using them to, to get started. But yeah, they're worth a look for sure. Cool. And then another piece of follow-up I have here. Oh, just a brief one that uh, came out yesterday from MacStories.net that uh, that Tim Cook has um, confirmed that there there is a focus at Apple on the pro market. So um, we talked last week about the fact that there's a rumored 7.9-inch, otherwise known as mini iPhone or mini mini iPad Pro coming up. Do you listen to any of that stuff, Mark? The shareholder stuff? No, I, I didn't. I, I am a shareholder, but I didn't listen to that uh, conference call. Yeah, I am too, but I never, I never do. <laughs> I, I try to, but I'll have to go down one day and oppose, make a opposing vote. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you I use your 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 legal entitlement as a, a an owner of at least one share of stock to. To get your your airtime and and That's ask right. exactly or, or not even exactly. ask just say whatever you feel like. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think Donald. I think Al Gore won the election eight twelve years ago or whatever it was. <laughs> eight sixteen years ago. Was it sixteen years ago? Holy cow! It was. Time ago. Yeah. Time goes by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So in this article, apparently uh, during the shareholder meeting, he um, said, "Oh, by the way." Uh, we still want to do pro stuff. Don't don't worry. We're not we're not leaving pros behind, without any sort of specific uh, commitment or, you know, even vague hint of of product wise. But considering that you know there's 
all sorts of laws that you like go to jail if you have misleading comments. I'm assuming that um, that there must be something coming, right? Uh, it may not be Mac Pros. Like, don't don't turn this into a solid concrete sort of device. Uh, it, it could be like, hey, here's some cool stuff for X, right? Um, certainly, they have pro software uh, out there. They could enhance current lineups, like have a super beefy version of the iMac, um, since they haven't you know updated that in a while. It could be anything. Yeah, it could just be a new updated pencil in a different color or something like that. I mean, it's it would still be more in the pro area. <laughs> Comments like that you can't take too seriously. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Buddy Build is a continuous integration, continuous deployment, and user feedback platform built specifically for mobile development teams. Buddy Build takes minutes to get set up and automates the process of configuring a reliable and robust platform for you to build, test, and deploy your apps. Gone are the days of retrofitting legacy web infrastructure and constantly maintaining build scripts to meet your mobile development needs. BuddyBuild gives you back the time normally spent on creating and maintaining your development pipeline so you can focus on building apps your users will love. With BuddyBuild, thousands of companies like Slack, Meetup, and Firefox are confident in their mobile development infrastructure again. Thanks once again to BuddyBuild. All right, so it was a big conundrum yesterday. I went to use a couple of apps and got some spinny gray screens with wheels just spinning away, waiting for things to happen, couldn't use my apps, and then I got a notice. We published our our podcast via Fireside, and I got a a notice from them saying that uh, the service was down because the thing that would never happen, ever, ever happen, happened, and that was Amazon Web Services had an outage yesterday. So if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't heard, why don't you fill us in, Jaime? Yeah, for a period of about uh, four to five hours, I think, uh, on February 28th, um, Amazon S3 started having issues. And, you know, since so much of the internet runs on Amazon's web services and, and S3 at the minimum, it's it's somewhere in your solution, probably, um, if only as a place to uh, use, you know, buckets and buckets of storage for podcasts, let's say, um, but maybe um, app updates. Uh, the App Store was very unhappy. You, you could see listings. You couldn't get them. Um, uh, you could publish apps. They would not update. Um, like the listing information would say, hey, it's an update. I was like, oh, there's, there's no new screenshots. And where's my new release notes? And why am I downloading the same update three times? <laughs> and that's still the old mm. version of the app. Like all sorts of, of chaos. Um the Lyft, for example, you know, I was on business travel recently, and um, they, uh, after the outage uh, was resolved, they sent me like five copies of the same receipt, and uh, all sorts of other things are still kind of, you know, resolving themselves uh, even as we we record this this episode, and uh, it, it definitely speaks a lot to uh, the centralization sort of issue with uh, you know Amazon being such a powerful player. Um, of course you can, you can pay for an, an architect for other stuff, right? Like they, I'm probably going to mess this up. They, they have their availability guarantees for regions, which break down into zones. I may have that flip flop, but it's the same kind of concept. And I think a lot of people will, uh, be dependent on like a particular zone. Well, okay. If that zone goes down, uh, 
you go down and a whole bunch of other people go down. Um, distributed systems is hard. Uh, this sort of thing is, you know, it's going to happen at some point. And, and thankfully, Amazon's really good about uh, keeping this up. But uh, it was interesting seeing how, like, uh, you know, Slack was okay for the most part, except you couldn't upload any images. Uh, I saw tons of, of right, traffic yeah, about that. Right. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I didn't realize how dependent I was on using Slack's upload image service that uh, I, it's like I've, you know, lost an eyeball kind of thing. Like, I've lost half of my ability to, to be rich and engaging in the world or, or even just, you know, share screenshots of uh, in development and, and QA type stuff. So it's definitely a lesson. Like, I guess it wasn't like the entire internet was down, even even though it sort of felt like that in a way. Um, you know, you could still browse Facebook. Uh, you could still check your Gmail. Um, I suppose you could probably still be filling out spreadsheets in Office 365 with Excel online. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, presumably, presumably Gmail is on Google Cloud services, and uh, uh, the Microsoft stuff is all on Azure. Right, so, uh-huh. so, so, it, Amazon has a big, uh, you know, big part of the the internet, but it's not the whole internet. In fact, if you remember, we talked about this a, a few months back on the show when Apple announced some deals with, I think there was one with Azure and maybe even one with IBM about Bluemix, um, and uh, and we were sort of wondering, you know, what what was going on, what were they up to, and and sort of the most logical answer to that or our you know our best guess to that was that well it's just you know they're just spreading around their usage of cloud storage just in case something like this happens so you know if if apple was completely 100 percent on amazon and amazon went down then apple would be down and that's that's no good so if they're spread out over all sorts of different services that helps to minimize the risk a little bit so looks like that was a good call in hindsight right right yeah the ultimate irony, of course, was when I heard about this, I, you know, I got the notice to you know, go check out the Amazon page, you know, to see their status. And, of course, I went there and it was serving up a cached image and everything was green across the boards because the little green images that they serve, you know, whether they're red and green, were also coming from S3, right? So I couldn't even update them. <laughs> right. Their status, their status page was cached. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So... Loads of fun. Loads of fun for the boys and girls. So has has Amazon, have you heard, has Amazon given any reason for the outage? I mean, was it just mechanical failure or were they hacked? Hopefully not. No, they're have just saying anything? that they had experiencing high error rates, um, particularly on the East Coast. So, so yeah, I guess but, you guys were safe over there. <laughs> actually, no, I, I actually had trouble with the App Store, too, yesterday. So it wasn't completely safe. But right. you know, the, just saying that there are there are high error rates doesn't doesn't explain why there are error rates. What's causing the error rates? No, it's true. It's true. I wonder if they're going to have uh, a relatively detailed post mortem coming out of this. I've I've not seen yeah. one as as yeah. of this recording. I do remember when Azure had its big mess up related to uh, certificate expiration mm. that they hadn't quite tested for. Was it like a leap year or something something similar like that? Uh, they gave her, I mean, the, the fact that I know this is because they gave a really good postmortem that described how they ran into this and how they learned from it and how they're going to you know, avoid it in the future. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're drawing parallels here between uh, this and a, and a attack last year called DYN or DIN. Yes, yeah, yep. The the that. DNS service that was uh, that one was specifically attacked. 
um, with a denial of service right. attack from what I recall. So uh, it's not clear if that was the case here or if it was uh, a bad deployment gone wrong. And maybe they ran into the cascading failure problem where each of the overloaded no- nodes keeps slamming the next one, like, you know, a set of dominoes. Like, uh, I'm too busy, I can't handle this. Here, let me give it to this person. Oh, I'm too busy, I can't handle it. Oh, give it to this one. And then it just shuts the whole system down. Uh, I saw something on Reddit from a somebody who claimed to be um, an AT&T engineer that uh, when Google had its big Gmail outage in 2012, they apparently ended up buying some sort of intellectual property from AT&T to prevent this from happening again. Mm. Don't know if it's true. You can be whoever you want on Reddit. I didn't, you know, verify the facts, but but it is an interesting concept there that like, uh, you know, this is still hard distributed systems type problems. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I, I heard something. Uh, I'm not sure if it was on a tech podcast or whatever, but um, just sort of we've got become so dependent on our devices not, to do our work as well. Um, that I wonder what would happen if if all of a sudden we didn't have access to these you know smartphones and web services and stuff like that. Like what what would we do? <laughs> you know, like notwithstanding the fact you can't up- upload a Giphy to your uh, to your Slack page, but you know, or post your um, or access a Medium post, right? You think about that, eh? Yeah, I think what would happen? Maybe that uh, that brand new Nokia thirty three ten that's come out that everybody's uh, talking about. Um, it's basically a it's a feature phone, um, like an updated version of the thirty three ten that was an indestructible monster. Uh, you could be playing Snake. I think this version of Snake does not have any internet connectivity because I think this phone doesn't have any web connectivity of any right, sort. So right. you could be doing that while you're <laughs> watching the world go up in flames. Mm-hmm. Things to keep in mind. Yeah, so my iPhone three GS up in the bathroom is not looking so bad now, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, our buddies at Amazon. So, Hami, you posted something here called Code Mill, which I haven't had a chance to look at. What's this about? Yeah, so Code Mill sounds like something that produces and churns out a bunch of code. This is Code.mill, which is the web address you can go to for the United States Department of Defense. They are trying to experiment with open source, so they're trying to make it so that all of this stuff, non-classified, right? You're not going to see the nuclear launch codes, uh, hopefully not, um, here <laughs> on, on GitHub. Uh, and they're trying to work through all of the open sourcing legal issues around this. But they're really trying to be part of the open source community to um, to give back and, of course, to benefit from, uh, you know, both directions where, uh, you know, money that the department of defense spends on software that uh, can be used by others they want to have that happen of course they would uh, i'm sure very much appreciate people submitting pull requests and say hey by the way like i noticed there was this problem here here's a patch sort of stuff uh, like you would have in typical source communities i've been following along a little bit of the the issues and um the pull requests and stuff and this is really a non-trivial problem because there's all sorts of weird legal ramifications for well, everything the Department of Defense does, I guess it's not classified, will be uh, under public domain. So what sort of license do we put here? And a lot of times that license is not compatible with other things, like let's say like the GPL, uh, the GNU public license. 
And then if you look at the issues list, there's 17 open so far that I'm, there's 45 closed uh, as of this recording. And one of them is about, uh, what about ITAR, which is the international traffic and arms regulations info. I was like, what about that kind of restrictions? Like, hmm, that's a good question. I've had to deal with that before personally, and it is a pain in the neck. And it's, uh, that's a defense one. It's commercial buddy, uh, ear, the export something regulations, um, export administration regulations, I think is the commercial side. And these are essentially the things that, that keep technology out of the hands of people that the United States has issues with for economic or military reasons, right? Just think about people that we have like embargoes with, and this is a constantly changing list. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like, again, there's not going to be nuclear launch codes on here, but it's like, well, did we somehow end up helping like North Korea, right? Or Iran or something. And even that, that's changing over time as we, we, we change our relationships with these countries. Uh, I have no idea. Even Canada falls under ITAR and EAR stuff. So I don't, I don't even know. Like, Tim, if you and I collaborated on these pull requests, am I like violating U.S. law at some point? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I find it just a little bit disturbing in general that the Department of Defense would be using open source software because who knows what's in there? I mean, presumably somebody knows. But but it, you remember a few months back there was there was this case where there was this old library that literally it was only like 20 lines long but it was embedded in pretty much half of the the open source code out there and, right, and right, something yeah. something broke somewhere in that one little piece and it brought everything down now if if it's that if that thing was that prevalent then it's probably in that software that the department of defense is using that's a little disturbing it's true. We did talk. We talked about that actually on the show, if I remember correctly. But it was about a yeah, year or two ago, did. right? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it, yeah. what it was exactly, but it was it was it was sort of a big deal for a day or so until somebody yeah. until somebody patched that little library. So is this the? I think yeah. it might be the Heartbleed nice. bug, which was oh, the right, OpenSSL right. yeah. um, software library, which isn't very big, and it had a bug for a very long time. It went back to like I don't know Leopard or something crazy like that. Um, yeah. That yeah. nobody had noticed there was the, remember the go-to-fail thing, that it was in the wrong line, and um, people were starting to argue, it's like, well, was this intentional? <laughs> was this right. broken by somebody like, you know, CIA, NSA type people that, like, surreptitiously get access to this sort of thing? That's a good, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Mm. A little bit scary. Yeah. I mean, that's the intentional actor sort of thing. I think that you're you're talking about. Say, I was reading here that one of the projects to talk, talk about in this Department of Defense thing is um, hack the Pentagon is one of the projects. I couldn't find that on GitHub though. That's a funny name. It's called <laughs> Hack the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I, I think I think those. some uh, some people may have taken that a little bit too seriously in the past uh, year or so. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Well, there's something here called, um, I just found a link here. It says, Carter announces hack the Pentagon program results. This is from June of last year. Building a bug bounty program. Interesting stuff. Hmm. I thought it was interesting to bring up because it's very unusual for this sort of thing to happen. So keep an eye out to, for, for that. It's there. You can contribute. Right. Well, speaking of things leaking from one place to another, uh, I posted something I saw here uh, in the middle of the week last week um, from, I think this is from 
Google, right, about um, their lawsuit. It's called A Note About Our Lawsuit Against Auto and Uber. And it claims that, or part of the claim is that um, for the self-driving cars, that uh, a couple of employees of one of the two companies, um, former employees, may have downloaded some code and taken it with him when he went to work for the new new company. Specifically about the LiDAR, the light-detecting light and ranging software. Have you guys seen any of this story at all? Yeah, this mm-hmm. is kind of big mm-hmm. news out here. Yeah. Um, so so uh, Google spun off a lot of their self-driving car uh, tech and, and people into a company called Waymo. And I guess somewhere somewhere along that in that time frame, while they were spinning off all these people, one of the engineers from Waymo or or Google or whatever it was at the at the time, uh, left and, and went to uh Uber uh and as you said, apparently took a whole bunch of code with him uh that he wasn't supposed to. And the way they found out was someone inside Uber accidentally sent an email talking about this. So it was it was nice. known apparently inside inside Uber. Uh, so obviously Google's not so happy. Technically, it's Waymo is not so happy about that, uh, and uh, it's being litigated now. Uh, yeah, it's bad. Uh, Uber's been having a lot of issues lately, actually. Uh, yeah, that's true. There was the whole issue of the the CEO uh, being you know involved with the with the government and having to leave with all the you know, dump Uber stuff, and the latest one is that. Um, Uber just fired one of their chief executives uh, because it came out that we don't know if it's true or not, but it came out that uh, supposedly while he was at Google, he was fired from Google because of, or he was sorry, he was about to be fired by Google because of a sexual harassment charge, and so I, I guess he mm-hmm. quit before he was fired and then went to Uber. Uh, but then this came out, so Uber is, feel, is feeling very sensitive these days. So, so they they fired him right away. I thought it was a post from a lady engineer working at Uber, who said she had um, issues with this these people. Uh, well, this particular guy, it was it was about a situation that supposedly happened at Google. No, there might have oh been at a, Google. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, and and supposedly he, like I said, he was about to be fired from Google, but quit before he was fired. And so, so it never got nice. out. It never got. Uh, it was never made public. But we don't know. You know, who knows the truth of it? <laughs> right. They're certainly embroiled uh, as a company, and a lot of things going on right now that I think yeah. you folks touched on, and even a couple that came to mind that, that, that I think happened within the last week or two that um, that, that have come up. Uh, but I was I was thinking about this this Waymo versus uh, Auto and you know, now Uber because of the acquisition of auto. I've definitely been in situations myself where, uh, I've kind of wondered like, huh, I wonder what's happening here. And again, I'll reiterate here. Everything here is for entertainment purposes only. This is not legal counsel. Um, but I've, I've been in situations where I'm like, huh, like, you know, I worked on some sort of implementation at say, you know, job a, and, you know, learned a lot about some particular area. And, and in some cases, it might be patentable technology. It might be trade secret type uh, information. And, uh, you know, as a natural consequence of, like, people knowing that you have, you know, particular skills or experience, people 
uh, will say, oh man, like I, I really want to hire this person. You know, yeah, I'm working on that sort of stuff too. We're working in a different area, but we, we certainly would love to have your, your help. And I've, I've been sort of caught in these sort of weird legal uh, or ethical quandaries at the very least of, wow, like how, like, I can't remove this information from my brain. Right. But I'm being asked to like implement stuff. Like, how do I do that in a way that is, you know, fair uh, and legal with uh, my relationship with my previous employer and and my current employer, and it's it can be yeah. really difficult and tangled, right? It, like it can you, be really yeah, it can be really tough. I mean, if you if you are asked to write the same method for two different companies, presumably when you wrote the method the first time, you wrote it in the the best most efficient way you can possibly come up with, right? So when you have to write it the second time, well, either you have to do it the same way that you did before. Or you have to make it not as efficient or as clean as as, uh, as you did before, and and you know neither neither one is good, right? If you if you write it exactly the same way, you run the risk of this kind of thing because it's exactly the same implementation. And if you do the other thing, well, then you're just not doing your job. It's a, it's a very tricky one. I mean, this was the whole right. this was the whole uh, Java at uh, uh, you know, it was Oracle versus versus Google thing a few years back, if you remember that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it was the same thing. It was just it was just a few lines of very boilerplate, you know, very standard common code that were in common, and and you know, at some point, I guess someone just you know cut and paste a really really innocent looking function or or, or something like that, and and that was enough to cause all these problems. Well, even going further back, there was there was some guy black back in the BlackBerry days, back in two thousand four, from where um, same thing happened. At the time, BlackBerry was using some some code that some guy had written, and I don't know if he was a former BlackBerry employee, but uh, he tried to take them to court for a whole bunch of stuff as well, right? So it's hard to say. Like you're, you're right. I mean, like if you wrote if you wrote a method to do something for whatever reason, and then you know you went to another position, another company. Um, and you, you know, most, I guess most covenants, you, you give up your right to that software. I don't know how it works in the States, but in, in Canada, if you, if you sign on the line that says all of, all the stuff you create while you work for the, company A belongs to company A and right. you go to another company that's doing the same kind of thing. And, you know, it's like, can you write a timer, <laughs> you know, that like, like the timer you wrote before, but not, you know, not that they would say that, but I mean, can you write a timer? It's very difficult to sort of write the same sort of thing. And come at it from a completely different angle because you're the same person, right? Right. right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Mark, you raised the issue of uh, so. There's a couple that I, I think I heard. One is is sort of. I mean, it, allegedly here in the the Uber example, it was like they just straight up stole the documents and and took one to one the the information, right? right? right. But let's say sort of philosophically, like internal to your own brain, is the I'm. Without access to that source code, I'm going through the same process that I remember doing, um, right? And, and having same imp- or, or very close to same implementation. Um, there's the other one of like, well, to avoid being unfair to the previous company, I have a inferior implementation, and the the ethical quandary for that. Um, in in my case, I was thinking about the situation where having a superior version, almost like a v, you know version two of uh, this technology where, oh, here were all these ideas I had. What if I did this? 
sort of thing that that can be difficult to to deal with ethically as well. It's like you know, it's like well, it, it's different. So it's, it's not like I stole you know, like as alleged in this case, it's not like I stole this information and just you know copied and pasted. It's like well, okay, but the new company would then hypothetically be benefiting from the work and experimentation and all the the effort that went into coming up with version one, right? So your, your time to market is, is so much more reduced than if you were a completely different person trying to come up with um, version two. Mm-hmm. That's a similar I, thing. But, but in this article, it says right in the middle that, that um, this person, you can read about this person in the, uh, we're not getting the time of day here, but uh, apparently he, they, they have proof that he went in and, and downloaded the, con- the, the documents and then attempted to erase the fingerprints that he took the documents to an, onto an external drive. And six, months, six weeks before that, he had he'd said to uh, colleagues that he would plan to replicate the technology in a competitor. So, you know, it's kind of like the cookies are missing from the cookie jar and this guy has cookie dust, you know, in his briefcase, right? So... Yeah, there's a Geico a commercial that, that kind of makes fun of that kind of situation. Where they're like oh, yeah, in the that? courtroom and it's like, uh, oh, we have evidence, you know, we have video of you stealing it. We have, um, you know, the picture of you on Facebook that's a, that shows you with the, the thing that you stole. And we have the, like, Twitter tweet that says, totally stole this thing kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I'll see if I can find that that commercial. But that, that, it sort of feels like that situation that... that that's described by this um uh, it's hard to call it even an article it's more like uh the opinion rendered for, uh, as the way uh, waymo sees it i don't know i mean i think it's pretty safe to say you know don't steal people's intellectual prep property whatever that means yeah, uh, yeah. legally in your yeah. your country um yeah. i think there, there's still ethical concerns in, in my head about um you know how do you deal with this sort of stuff even if it's not direct competitors like you know waymo and, and uber are definitely uh direct competitors in this case but just even in in adjacent or completely different you know applications or or business environments uh, i kind of wonder how this works and i'm i'm kind of reminded uh since this is not unique to our um you know software industry uh, i remember when boeing was developing the the 787 aircraft um the the first commercial uh, large commercial jet that uses carbon fiber reinforced plastic instead of aluminum as the main component in its structure uh, boeing as you may or may not know also has a defense side that's largely very separated from the commercial airplane side that you know people are more accustomed to you know flying in in their aircraft like on southwest airlines and so forth so of course they naturally said, "Hey, you know, we've got all these employees on the defense side. The, they've been doing all this carbon fiber work, you know, like on the stealth bombers and, and other types of things. Hey, that's cool. Let's bring them over. This will save us all sorts of time and experience." And somebody had to come and yeah, and somebody came and said, "No, no, no, no. Do you know that's illegal for like ITAR type reasons and, and ear reasons that I mentioned before? It's like uh, you can't have military." even just like at the funding level of like this project that was militarily funded, you can't use that knowledge in a commercial uh, uh, export type situation. So uh, I, don't, I don't remember what happened. I think they ended up having to like do a lot of separate experiments and be like, look, this is where we got the information. And you know, now, now it's, it's all okay and legal, which always felt funny to me. And like, it, it's the same people, <laughs> right? It's like, like if you come out with like a a science experiment, uh, you know, in a journal, it's like, uh, who's 
who's reproducing. It's like, we're reproducing. So like, what? No, it's the same people. It's not, it's not the same sort of thing. Okay, maybe you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's it is, but it always felt sort of odd to me. Yeah, the worst example I I know of, of something like this, and and one that had real real consequences was when I worked in the semiconductor business, uh, in particular the the EDA electronic design automation business. There, there's a couple of it's it's dominated by a couple of really large companies like Cadence Design Systems and Synopsys, and and but back then this is this is early two thousands. There were a few more. Uh, one of them was a company called Avanti. That was founded by a bunch of former Keynes executives who who split off and and formed their own companies. So these these companies were, you know, billion dollar companies, if not if you know maybe Avanti was a little bit smaller, several hundred million or whatever. But it, but it turned out that those executives had taken a bunch of Cadence code with them when they left and got caught. And you know this is particularly bad because these were executives in, in the companies. Uh, so there was pretty much no no plausible deniability at all. I mean, you know, these executives walked away with, with code illegally. Uh, it, it The way it all shook out was a bunch of those executives ended up going to jail over this and Avanti basically just ceased to exist because the the, the lawsuit was so big, it was, it, it, they were, they were uh, rewarded damages bigger than the size of the company. So they just had to have a fire sale and and sell off pretty much all their assets and just split up the company completely. This happened just in, over in a matter of you know a few months' time. This, this giant company just ceased to exist completely. So yeah, there, there's real consequences to this stuff. I don't I don't think it'll be that big of a deal in, in this case. I think they'll probably just come to some kind of a settlement. But uh, yeah, be careful. Yeah, being careful I think is probably the, the best tip for those of you driving at home or <laughs> yep. being driven around <laughs> uh, yep. at home. Yeah. Yep. yep. In cars. A lot of people talking okay. about this um, USB-C and where it... I think there's no doubt that there is USB-C involved. It's just the discussion is, which end of the plug are we talking about for USB-C? Oh, right, right. Whether it's the... Hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people are like, oh, look, that, mean, that, means, yeah, that means you're dumping lightning and, and the jack into the phone is USB-C. Um, and many reasonable people are pointing is like, well, hold on, wait a minute. You know, those new MacBook pros they came out with that only have the going yeah, into yeah. the MacBook side as a USB C piece. That's not the USB a, I think type. Um, maybe it's just that, which is much more mundane. I keep looking back at the, the little MacBook thing that they came out with a couple of years ago with just the one port. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so, so now what you can charge your phone or you can charge your Mac, but you can't do both at the same time. Well, so let's look at this. So uh, if you have a new Mac, so let's say that, that this is the most reasonable case, that it's lightning into the phone and USB-C coming, you know, going into the wall charger side. That means for somebody who has a new MacBook Pro, you're great. Just shove it into the MacBook Pro. Everything's fantastic. Uh, th- these cables yeah. already exist. However, I have a crusty old MacBook Pro that has the USB-A type uh, ports on it. So I have to go buy a bag of dongles <laughs> for my existing lightning <laughs> cables or buy new lightning cables in this situation. So I think that's more likely to happen. Otherwise, it's like if they if they did change the, the connector going into the phone to be USB-C, they kind of wasted their time by not making that change when they went ahead and removed the headphone jack. 
right? Because they could have just given you headphones that have a USB-C connection into the phone rather than one that has lightning. Right. But it seems really odd. Not saying they couldn't do it. There, There are very good reasons, like... Heavens Almighty, maybe maybe someday in the future, every mobile phone will use the same kind of charging cable. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not this year. Yeah, at least. well, that's where the, the the idea of the wireless charging might be something to. That's another part. We're we're actually talking about an article here on Forbes, folks. Um, there's also the wireless charging option that may be available in the iPhone eight. You know, where you, where it has a mechanism, like what do you call those things that. Um, it's like some, some sort of gyroscope that uh, in, inductive charging, right? Um, yeah. Isn't that how that works? Yeah. Mark? yeah. It's not a gyroscope, but yes, it's inductive charging. Not gyroscope. Uh, you know, what's a gyroscope? Uh, yeah, but there's, there's a, a mechanism that basically has a, a coil that wraps around a magnet or something like that, right? Yeah, it's an inductor. So, I mean, that would be the way to go, too. But then but then you have to – now people have to buy pads and stuff like that. And Actually, I was in – when I was in was, – I think it was San Francisco, they had um, – uh, these little things you could plug into the bottom of your lightning port and put your phone down on a table at Starbucks, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And in, and charge your phone inductively, as it were, right? Yeah, they have those they at have a lot of Starbucks, actually, around here. It's They have a special yeah. table, and you just grab one of those connectors off a rack and stick it into your phone and put it down and, and charge it. Yeah, we had those in one of our one of our boardrooms, and I think they they kind of all disappeared. So I'm not sure. maybe the <laughs> table table wasn't plugged in or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I I don't doubt that that sort of thing will be useful because at the very least, Tim, let's say it, it solves the problem uh, that you've encountered before, where you want to use your lightning cable to, um, you know, like debug the the app that you're working exactly, on yeah. or or you want to charge and you're like well where do i plug in my headphones and it's like oh well i guess i have to have wireless headphones but that may not always be right. the the appropriate thing you want it's like well i just want to plug in my darn lightning you know the, the ones that they gave me with the lightning connector i'll just plug those in and use them by golly um, and this would would free that up because now you don't have to choose between charging and and listening um, through connected headphones uh I've, I've always wondered about calling this like wireless because it, it feels a little wrong. Like, all right, yeah, not that long ago, I, I used to have to plug in an Ethernet cable into my laptop, and that was wired. And when I went wireless, it meant that I could move, you know, tens of feet away from something. You can't move tens of feet away from this. This isn't really like wireless charging, in my opinion. Uh, it's like if they said, "Oh, hey, we've got this new thing. It replaces Ethernet cable. It's wireless." Like. You just got to make sure your laptop's permanently connected to this one spot. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, would you prefer cableless charging? I cableless, yes. <laughs> because uh, even though, I'm like, tethered, it, ignoring the fact that a cable is a wire, <laughs> like it, it's it, it's still there. Um, as you brought up the Tim, like the Starbucks thing, where like the tables have it integrated, so you don't see the wires, and you just plunk it on there. Fantastic. This isn't <laughs> charging at a distance sort of stuff, right? I actually have a um an, my magic mouse which I don't use anymore but it has a little I got a from who are these guys uh Mobi I think it is Mobi E um I but they have a battery pack that goes in the bottom of your magic mouse and you put it on this platen and the, and the and it inductively charges the the mouse right mm-hmm. but you're right I can't if if my mouse is run out of juice I have to put it on the platen and I can't use my mouse you know for an extended period of time right while yeah. for it to charge up, yeah. So you're right. You're, it's not like I can move around the room while it's charging. 
Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's not useful. It's useful. It's appreciated. Um, earth shattering, probably not, but convenient. Mm-hmm. I, I think the very similar kind of thing that you have for the, the Apple watch that has uses a little magnetized quote unquote wireless <laughs> connector. Um, now, 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 Mark might remember this, but when I was a kid and we wanted to use the phone, we used to have to go to a central part of the house and use a phone that was plugged into the wall yeah, with a cable. to the wall, yeah. Right, yeah, and you had, you had to that. dial a big dial thing like like a, like a moron, and you hated people who had nine or zero in their name in their phone numbers because you had to dial all the way around. And if you made a mistake, you had to start all over again. I'm paraphrasing a Louis C.K. piece, but anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing I is, say, that, you have pretty strong is, feelings about uh, rotary phones. There, yeah, so. <laughs> no, I mean, so, but the th- but the, I I do remember that. I mean, you had to go to the kitchen to make the con- have the conversation with my friends, and you had you had to be mindful of what you said because your mother was standing in the room with you, right? Right. But um, hi, mom. Um, but this this. Um, idea of putting some your phone down on a, on a plot and you still feel like an idiot because you have to go to that one central place in your house and put your phone down and wait for it to charge you know whereas even with a wired charger i can go to any outlet in my in my house and plug it in right so in fact now we're starting to put in uh i don't know about you guys but we're starting to put in the wall plugs that have the usb chargers built in right yeah yeah or you can get adapters that kind of go over the plate and, and give you that sort of depending right, yeah. whether you want to you know tear it out or not and replace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course now that, that sort of begs the question, should we be buying USB-C ones? <laughs> <laughs> Bag of dongles for the house that you use to connect yeah. the tablets. Little nubs yeah. sticking out of your wall. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, we'll see. I'm sure Apple will do it right. However they do it, you know, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. That's out of that article. Um, hmm. Yeah. The couple, a couple other things like, um, like the mixed reality, um, which I don't think I've heard Apple use this term. I think only Microsoft has talked about it when they've started talking about the HoloLens, which is right. Uh, it's certainly it's an augmented reality machine, but I'm trying to think of why Microsoft calls it mixed. I think because they, mixed reality. Yeah, I think for them, mixed reality is going to be VR, AR, and what R reality. <laughs> together and you just kind of seamlessly switch between the the different modes and maybe they they blend together where need be uh in this case in the article they're talking about how well maybe they can you know rather than having like a transparent phone the way that tony stark does and what iron man 2 i think that they would use the rear facing camera and maths to change the image on the screen to reflect uh not just like a, a video feed but to show you augmented reality type stuff like i think we talked about doing the was it like four square monocle or your yelp monocle whoever had that that we'd show right, you yeah, like yeah. restaurants nearby and, and you just physically see them sort of thing i mean maybe i mean that, that seems reasonable i don't say that alt, altogether unreasonable to, to exist i think the the sdks that would make that easier to do would be um fantastic again i'm not so sure that that's quite so transformational um it's not like a a new form factor it's more like a nice feature i thought it was a safety feature too back in the blackberry days when people were walking around looking at staring at the blackberries and using the rear-facing camera to, to show the sidewalk so they wouldn't trip on hazards and things like that right but that's what they mean by transparent phones not is that what they that's what they're saying or this this article is saying anyway right that it's it's using some sort of through the through the lens experience right to show you what's behind there I mean, that's what this article is, is proposing. 
I, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't really consider that a transparent phone. Um, you know, again, you have the Tony Stark one that was like literally just like a piece of like plasticine or something that he that Lexan, yeah, yeah. That, that actually had you know UI on it. This isn't even transparent phone like you mentioned the other phones that you had to physically connect to in the kitchen. Remember when people had the ones that were made of transparent plastic and you could see the PCBs mm -hmm. underneath and ruin the magic of the technology because it looked all terribly cheap, like it was going to break at any second. Yeah. <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. your transparent phone there. Yeah, it's funny when I see a lot of these sci-fi shows. There's, there's one called Expanse right now where they... They hold these pieces of Lexan or plastic in their hand, and then, of course, you know, in the in the TV show, they they project onto it to make it look like it's an in, uh, like a, a transparent LCD screen, right? And other shows that I watch where they have like a wristband that they wear on their on their wrist, and when they tap it, it projects the phone UI onto their their forearm. I don't know if you've seen any of those kind of things, right? But. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know where these guys get off the idea thinking that, that you know, someday we're going to have these, like, or even in um, Avatar, or no, what was that? Avatar, yeah, the, the computer screens just sort of floated in in air, you know, holographically, so. Well, there was a thing a couple of years back, this is actually probably at least five or six years back, that was supposed to be the next big thing, and, and it was something called a Pico projector, which would be right. a, a set of chips and lenses in your phone. That would kind of do just that. You know, you could project stuff onto just a wall uh, from your phone or onto, you know, whatever, a piece of paper or whatever, whatever you want to do. So it's just a mini projector. So it's, I mean, that's that's sort of a similar concept. Maybe that's where they got the idea. It, it never seemed to go anywhere, though. It, I've never seen one around. So I guess they uh, they weren't the, they weren't actually the next big thing. Well, there was also a keyboard where you have like a little block you'd put in front of your computer and it would project a little uh, infrared or like a red laser uh, keyboard in front of your on your desk. And where you put your fingers, it would recognize the, the fact that you're touching that part of the keyboard. Right. Holographic keyboards. Yeah. 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 yeah those were a little bit further off than than the, the projector, which was I mean, the projector is a, a certainly a, a possible thing to do within existing technology. But I mean, where you, but you couldn't touch it and then have it recognize where. No, you're no, touching no, you couldn't. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't touch it. No, no. Well, we'll we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think the idea of I think the idea of the Hololens, like where, you know, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, you're wearing sort of translucent visor over your face, and and they're projecting some sort of image onto the visor that makes it look as if something's in real life, right? Like you've got a three D image floating out in in front of you somewhere, right? Oh, and that's so the idea behind a Hololens. That's a hologram, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't mean that. I mean, ho uh, correct. You know, Jaime, do you know what I mean with the Hololens from Microsoft? Mm -hmm. Like, isn't that the idea? You're supposed to look in your room and see things in in the room that are being uh, created by the Hololens itself in 3D. Yeah, you know how that works. Yeah, so it's it's a headset that you wear, and it's it's got effectively like a screen in front of you. It's got that the clear plastic, and I think that's why they they're trying to go with the mixed reality side. It's, it's kind of really right, more like right. augmented reality. And I, I think in the examples they showed, um, like they had Minecraft, right? Cause they purchased Minecraft fairly recent at that time where you look at your uh, coffee table in your living room and like, Oh look, there's little Minecraft bricks there and you can sort of see the little world and interact with it sort of thing. Right. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Weirdness. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, next. I think that's it. 
I think we're there. Are we there? We're there. What do, what do we miss? On to the picks. This is it. All right. So, Mark, you have a pick? I have a couple of picks today, actually. This may be a first. Um, one of them is uh, there's, if you happen to be in San Francisco next week looking for something to do, there is the Google Cloud Next conference. It's going on at Moscone Center, uh, March, I think it's March 8th through the 10th. And the reason that that's potentially interesting is, well, for a couple of reasons. One is a lot of iOS developers are, are starting to use Google Cloud now as a back end. And uh, Firebase is, is, falls under the umbrella of Google Cloud. So there's a lot of presentations and talks about Firebase in this conference. So if you're interested in seeing what's new with that and, you know, see, see uh, how they're, they're uh, integrating all the new stuff they got from Yahoo, this would probably be a good time to, uh, to check that out. So March 8th through 10th in uh, San Francisco. And wow, this second- is interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the, the speakers list. Um, I'm looking at sort of some of the major areas they're looking to, to talk about. Big data machine learning, app development, yes. infrastructure, mobility, business platforms. This seems really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty relevant stuff. Uh, especially for someone like you, Jaime, who's also doing Android stuff, it's it's it would be really relevant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so speaking of machine learning, uh, I will make one more uh, pick in that space. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about neural networks in various past episodes, and in particular, convolutional neural networks, which is a special type of neural network that's really good for uh, image recognition and, and computer vision and, 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 you know, learning, uh, I think I was talking about the catness versus the dogness of, of an image, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, that's all done with these things called convolutional neural networks, which basically, instead of trying to learn how each pixel, uh, it helps to determine what the image is. It takes, uh, sets of pixels in like a block of pixels, uh, and, and looks for patterns in those blocks of pixels and, and then repeats it over the whole image to try to find features. Uh, so that's a convolutional neural network. They're pretty hot right now. A lot of people are using them. And I found an article that's a, a really good intuitive explanation of what a convolutional neural network really is and how they work. Um, and it's by someone... His name's actually not on the blog, his or her name, uh, but it's someone, UJJ Walkarn, uh and that's all the information I have about it. But uh, it's on a blog called the Data Science Blog. Uh, yeah, Ujwal Karn works on natural language processing and deep learning. So, uh, but anyway, it's a it's a real interesting article that just from real basic first principles, you know, what is a convolutional neural network and why is it useful and how is it different than just a standard everyday neural network? So if you're interested in this stuff, give it a read. It's very, very accessible. You know, you don't need a lot of, there's almost no math in it. And you don't really need a lot of uh, previous knowledge on, on what neural networks are to get something out of it. So recommend it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, somewhere down the middle, I'm looking at, I'm not even sure what the input image is. Um, it's some sort of woodland creature, perhaps. Um, yeah. Some sort of animal. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. all right, first operation. Here's the matrix, the identity. All right, here's an image. And then we do a couple different edge detection um I don't know, maybe Fourier transforms or something in there. Then we sharpen, then we box, box blur, then we Gaussian. It's like like it's running Photoshop on, on this dang thing. 
to, to sort yeah. of do all this really cool stuff. It, I, I don't think I've seen it quite step by step shown in a yeah. digestible sort of. So I've not read this this article before, but just sort of browsing it casually. Like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get the gist of what's happening here. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really a fascinating field because it's it it just takes a a bunch of uh, relatively simple operations like edge detection or, or blur. Uh, and it's able to use those combinations of those things just to come up with amazing results and, and uh, uh, you know just uh, be able to you know to pull out these these features out of out of images, which it's just incredible stuff. I, I, I think it's pretty fascinating. So um, yeah, give it a read. All right, cool. So yeah, definitely we'll give that one a, a, a glance through anyway. So yeah. A question whether it's like reasonably consumable, as Mark said, because you know some of us are walking, some of us are walking our dogs or mowing our lawns. Well, okay, um, look, if you're if you're out walking your dog, kidding, that's probably I'm not kidding. the time to read it. But if you sit in a quiet no, no. room for an hour or so, I think you could probably read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just get Siri to read it to me. There you go. Um, all right, so Jaime, have you got a pick? Yeah, and a, it, it's not like a, a ringing endorsement sort of thing, because I'll be quite honest, this um, was just open sourced today, or at least was announced today, and um, huh. I read about this while I was on a train coming back to Seattle from a business trip, so it, it's more of an awareness pick that uh, Twitter has open sourced an iOS framework for uh, Twitter image pipeline. Uh, if you've used SD web image, or um, I forget what Pinterest, Pinterest has the, the another big competitor out there that that's kind of interesting to do this sort of thing. And I think Kingfisher is one that's a, a Swifty version where you're, you're trying to deal with the problem of pulling down images and doing interesting things to them uh, and caching them. And, do, you know, like, like you might have in an app where you have uh, avatars or pictures of cats sort of thing that, uh, you know, you want to have something local and available to use quickly, um, might be in different contexts, like especially, uh, user avatars where you might have, you know, a full profile page that has a very large one. And there's maybe a, a circular version on some table row somewhere else on your app. And there's a, like a micro version that's used as a, you know, sub detail in a completely different part of the, the, the app, or maybe in the same screen sort of thing. And of course, Twitter is not unique in having to deal with this. And um, they, they've talked here in this blog post about how they you know, ran into some issues as they've refined this over, I don't know, a couple of years. I think they, yeah, there we go. Two years uh, of needing to, you know, have this operation-based sort of way to pull, uh, pull things down and sort of intelligently decide, you know, is this kept in memory? Uh, the memory cache is this um, on disk? Is this something that has already been transformed and we can deal with? Um, they talk about uh, one technique that this uses, which I've used in a uh, a past life, where um, you know if you have uh, an image that's rather large or let's say larger than the context you want to use it, it's like great, just pull it right out of cache, use it as is, downscale, everything's pretty good, especially on, on iPhones where the GPU is really good at doing this sort of thing. Uh, and the reverse case where it's like, well, uh, I have a very small, you know, version of this image relative to how large I want to show it, let's say like on a detail screen. So, well, let's, you know, grab from the cached version, the smaller version that will, uh, effectively look like more like a down sampled, uh, lower quality version of content that the user can look at while we're asynchronously pulling down the 
actual full version or at least a size that's appropriate for what we want to display. Uh, this is one that I, I think might be interesting to give a try. I'm definitely interested in, in poking at this. Notably, it is Objective-C because they have been developing this for two years. So uh, mm -hmm. they do describe um, Swift interoperability on their GitHub uh, page, which is linked way down to the bottom. Um, but yeah, if, if you're in a Swift-only environment, uh, this may not be for you. If you're in sort of a mixed environment or, or are willing to, to take a look at this and, and, and deal with that, uh, I'd say check it out. All right. Yet another third-party product. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they're, the normal caveats that, that go along with that don't just blindly toss them in there and call it, you're barely done. Um, uh, you know, evaluate this sort of thing uh, and even just make sure that you even have this, this sort of problem. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's definitely not trivial to implement some of the things that they're doing here. Uh, it, it can be done. Uh, you may or may not have the the time to deal with it, so that's part of the trade off that that folks I think you know have made before with like SD Web Image. Um, I sure would love it <laughs> if this sort of thing was part of um, you know the iOS framework itself. Or, um, but maybe maybe one day we'll get there. For, for now, we you know roll your own or uh, take a look at this. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com or at Smapsoft on Twitter. All right. And uh, once again, I'm Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. So until we talk again next week, we'll say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help in spreading the word. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Objective-C and Swift interop in the Swift to Cocoa Touch or integration feels a lot like, uh, what is it? It's like, is it, it's like li liquid hydrogen or sorry, uh, uh, solid hydrogen or solid helium that like they recently destroyed the sample accidentally. Cause it's like nature doesn't want this to exist. And it was so hard <laughs> for them to get it, to keep yeah. it stable under extreme pressure or cold or something. Cause like, oh, well, we made it, solid yeah. version of it. Can't be solid helium because that's impossible. Uh, uh, is it the, solid hydrogen? It could, be, it? it could be solid hydrogen. Yeah, that's actually not so crazy. It's gonna be pretty cold, but but it's doable. Liquid with liquid helium is kind of a, a, or helium in general is kind of a, a unique thing because of the the particulars of the of the energies. Uh, it it requires uh, 
requires well the the what's called the zero point energy just the the energy of the lowest possible rest state of the stuff uh is is higher than the the energy of uh what's it called the melting energy melting point energy so just having if you had helium at, at absolute zero it's still liquid and it's the only element that does that uh it, it just be, and it's just because that you know even the even even at zero absolute temperature, um, there's still enough just random quantum mechanical energy just floating around to melt it if it uh, if it if it did. Uh, okay, metallic hydrogen. Yeah, right, right. You know, I, <laughs> right, I, I was getting the explanation. I was like, I know it's easier or hydrogen. It was one of the two yeah. um, uh, topmost or firstmost very common yeah. that I'd read this article of like. Oh, we can't find it anymore because the setup that was used to cause it to exist, this, this, you know, this abomination of the, the universe is like, nope, uh, it, the, the universe had its laugh and yes. the sample was gone somebody, somebody for the reasons you were just describing. Yeah. Like, somebody looked at it and the photons from their eyes were enough to melt it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the Planck constant that, that came under... <clears throat> under a consideration there yep one of these uh one of these podcasts i'll, I'll give a, a lecture on quantum mechanics how about that <laughs> oh look at this this is written feel, feel for... free to decline <laughs> doesn't justin trudeau already have that covered oh no i guess it was that was quantum computing what was that yeah that's quantum computing yeah that's right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is a this is a pretty good article that i i linked here because um it's international friendly and science community friendly. So they store the metallic hydrogen at 80 Kelvin that they described. So as negative 193 degrees Celsius. So there you go, Tim and negative 316 degrees Fahrenheit, which was useful for me in America. They covered all the combinations there. Scientist versus Mm -hmm. non-scientist, American versus non-American. Good. Covering all, although, although I think, is it Kelvin or Celsius is the the true scientific standard? Kelvin. Kelvin, yeah. So, yeah. so. But Kelvin and Celsius are the same units. They just have a different zero point. So hmm. absolute absolute zero is zero Kelvin, but it's minus 273 Celsius. Hmm. Because Celsius is just defined as uh, zero is defined as the freezing point of water. Fahrenheit is meaningless. It was like... You know, in 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 uh, seventeen forty three or whatever year it was, it just happened to be whatever, you know, whatever the temperature was that day. Let's call that zero. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but it, it's it's fairly arbitrary. So I'm reading an article here about this picture of strawberries isn't red. Is this another get, blue blue dress sort of thing? Yeah, it totally is. If you look at the if you look at the um, uh, maybe the bottom of yours didn't link the you know how they have the related stories at the bottom. Of the article, there's an article here on this. Um, somebody just stirred up a storm on Twitter by tweeting a filtered photo of a strawberry. Oh, yeah, this tart. picture of strawberries isn't red. Actually, gray. But uh, so, what is it? Why, why are we seeing this? It's a phenomenon called color constancy. So oh, your it occurs when our fingers it's it out, red yeah. because it's supposed to be red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. This sure. is the same thing. Like. It, it's definitely the same thing like that dress and yeah um like when they have that computer graphics image of the checkerboard and like the cylinder that casts a shadow 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, actually, mm-hmm. these are all the same color. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess it is. All right, cool. That's a weird thing. It sounds like that's what's happening here, where they dove into Photoshop to see what exactly is in the image. Is it red or not? Mm-hmm. It's a great, basically grays, right? Of course, the, the actual red image down below looks really too red. Like it's almost fake. Maybe your brain is tired. You know, I'm surprised yeah. more people don't troll the internet by just getting random images and be like, guess what? This isn't actually orange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a follow-up to this, when people tweet, 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 retweet, and then yeah. after thousands of retweets, somebody's like, no, guys, I I, I put it up in Photoshop. It, it, it is orange. Look, see? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Troll. Yeah. I swear this color. Oh, you know, we've got the digital color meter. I can use that, right? Digital color meter. Here we go. I got my digital color meter out. I'm putting it right on the middle of the strawberry, and it's basically gray. Wow. Of course. Would the internet lie to you? No. No, but the, the digital color meter wouldn't lie to me, though. But my brain sees it as red. It's totally weird. I'll have to get a picture of an orange and do the same thing. Here we are more than a decade later. It's like, oh, guess what's really cool for web-based services nowadays? This, Here's an this alternative is, thing. Yeah. This is what Uncle Bob means about this churn, right? It's it's all the same stuff, you know, but they keep inventing new languages and new this and that to do the same thing over and over again. And because stuff doesn't really change that much in this business. You know, somebody asked me, like, how would you deal how would you determine like a junior developer for this, uh, um, uh, a mid-level developer and then like the more senior developers. And I, uh, and, and beyond the, the technical aspect of, um, in this case, it was for iOS developers. Um, you know, they asked, well, what about something a little bit broader, you know, across different types of, of uh, technology developers? Like, well, I'm kind of starting to think that, if you ask the question, an open-ended question, they can say whichever one they want. Tell me about a technology, you know, trend that have, you know, you've seen a full cycle for that has come back. Mm. Something that that used to be trendy it was old, dead technology and has come back again, right? Like the, there is a bit of time aspect to that, so it's a little unfair sure. if you're, you know, a, a very senior sort of person but happen to be relatively young. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're seeing this come back. Uh, we're seeing functional languages come back. Um, yeah. I guarantee you object-oriented stuff will come back. <laughs> I, don't even, another... I, I don't think it's gone away. <laughs> I really don't think object-oriented has gone away. It's, just it's old and lame people. technology, right? Everything is a struct or an enum if you can get away with it. Everything is protocol-based. It's, you know, state is bad. Inheritance is bad. Says who? <laughs> I mean, you know, says all the cool, the trendy, right, sexy all the cool kids. kids. Yeah. All the right. kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually think uh, that it's 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 whether you grew up with, with the web or you grew up before the web that determines hmm. a lot of that. Because the hmm. web has this whole uh, – the web is by, defini- by definition functional in, in some sense, right? You set a request. You send it – all the information that 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 is needed to do that request, and you get a response back, and it's completely self-contained. It's there's no state in there. It's stateless. But you know, other kinds of computing, embedded computing, things like that, are not like that. And and you know, an Objective C was never meant to be a web-based language. It was meant to be sort of more of an embedded type, or you know, whatever. by embedded, I'm also including like. 
works on a desktop, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and most, uh, from what I've seen in my experience, most enterprise commercial software, I, I probably shouldn't say most because it's probably changed a lot by now. But back when I was doing that stuff, that was all, none of that was like web-based stuff. It was all uh, run on some big local server kind of stuff. So, so it behaves very differently. Uh, and for that kind of stuff, object-oriented makes a huge amount of sense. Uh, but, you know, but for something that's very web-based, it's, it's a whole different style of thinking. So, so, so that appeals, so this functional stuff appeals to them a lot. Right. That, that's my sort of pet theory with no real proof to back it up other than, um, as Bill Maher would say, I can't prove it's true, but I know it's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, maybe I end up benefiting from, you know, uh, the, the web has been around for most of my, uh, yeah, actually all true. of my adult life, technically all of my adult yeah. life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I'm not so young where like the web was everything. I'm like, Oh yeah. I remember when I would spend all sorts of time with my completely disconnected, uh, PC and and do stuff with that. Um, and and certainly I remember when like, Oh man, maybe I'll work at Oracle someday when I was like in high school or maybe I'll work for Microsoft. Right. And not Azure, not Xbox. It was like, Oh, maybe I'll work on like windows or office type stuff. Um, all disconnected stuff. I, I, I wonder a little bit about like, I've seen things where, um, especially with databases, it, it's so crazy where I uh, remember when like MongoDB was like the hotness. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was doing Mongo. It's like, well, this is the only way you can scale. It's like, oh, th- this relational database, like we're running to performance problems because uh, we have just have, you know, millions of rows and we can't deal with it. So we've got a shard and it's got to be all these different Mongo instances. And you'd see these old like DBA guys, you know, relational database guys would be like, what are you talking about? Like, Oracle can handle hundreds of millions, billions of rows. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Just throw a damn yeah. index on this thing. What do you mean you're it's, it's, <laughs> you, you can't deal with the schema? It's like yeah. the schema's great. It's just you're just not doing it right, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, that's kind of how I feel about Objective C versus Swift in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, Swift was introduced to be to appeal to young, uh, you know, new developers who. Want to you know want to know want all the newest greatest latest and greatest features that they that can make them be lazy, right? I mean, essentially. <laughs> uh, whereas you can do everything there in Objective C, you just you know, do it right. Maybe that's a little bit of stretch, but mm-hmm. but but I mean, it is it is true, right? The whole idea of Swift was to was to make it more accessible to this next generation of developers. Joins or crossing language. Just, well, they they depend on all these new features more, is my right. guess. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the new features are nice, but but you know, if you're depending on syntactic sugar, then you're kind of not doing it right. That definitely gets into some interesting arguments. Is like I yeah. remember the programming languages professor when we were talking about. Uh, I think it was C, and and all of its yep. um, imperative uh, brethren. I was like, you know, yeah. a for loop is actually just syntactic sugar for what's really going on there uh, yeah, yeah. at the assembly level, or assembly level, and that for what's going on at the machine code level. I was like, mm. well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah this argument yeah. can go. It's turtles all the way down, right? That's <laughs> 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 true. That's uh, true. You know, looking at this article here on on TechCrunch, uh, it def- so coming back to even my own question of like, you know, uh, what 
old busted technology has become new and hot again uh in, in some new form right so i've seen um in the web world i've seen xml was the answer for everything that is interoperability right, right. it is human readable you've got yep. um uh, xslt and xsds to to transform and make sure that things are are valid uh data sets that you can accept or decline kind of stuff yep and that became lame it's like uh, it's too restrictive it doesn't perform well everything is json json is great look how how, right. how small it is it's easy to to deal with you can move stuff around easily and and now and, and, and now everyone's saying, what the fuck we're we doing we're sending we're doing string manipulation every time what that's crazy yeah it's like yeah. you know what's a good idea what if we had a binary format yeah. that um you know does validation for you which is what protocol buffs pro- uh, protocol, protocol buffs yeah. does yeah. i was like what yeah. it's like we've gone full cycle on this one yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's I think that's cool. a good question for is like how do you know if this is a mid level or junior or, or sorry mid level or seniors like give me an example and you can use an example right like like I've just described um, functional uh, languages uh, RPC over REST um, uh, schema list versus schema and see if they can give you an example that they've seen that's like oh yeah th- th- this is really just old stuff that was being done in the eighties or nineties. Yeah, yeah. 70s in some cases, 60s probably. I feel like I'm realizing the real world uh and pertinent to our industry joke that the Big Bang Theory made several seasons ago where Penny asks who, who was it? It's probably uh, Leonard for sure and possibly Sheldon was in there in the room as well. It's like, "So, what's new in physics?" Uh nothing since the 50s <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like literally nothing they like were getting to the point of like you know proving theories that were done in the 50s that, that people had um ideas about and it, it it's starting to feel like computing is the same thing as new computing yeah, it's like yeah nothing Every, everything well, all these cool things people are talking about using is like people had ideas for this shit in the 70s yeah yeah so it, so in physics you know, quantum mechanics was invented developed in the 30s right and mm-hmm. and it was pretty much considered except for a fringe group it was pretty much considered done and solved uh until until the late 60s uh when there's this one result that came out that basically said oh the the standard theory or, or explanation of how this actually works uh pretty much isn't possible Unless you, this is a thing called Bell's theorem. It's basically it is impossible unless you throw away uh, locality. Uh, in other words, uh, you have to accept that something that's happening here, wherever here is, can instantaneously affect something that's happening on the other side of the universe, and it's happening all the time. So, if you want the conventional uh, explanation of quantum mechanics to be true, you have to accept that, which is really hard to accept. Uh, so, so all of a sudden, after after almost forty years, it opened up this whole new way of thinking about and investigating quantum mechanics, and it's still going on now. You know, now people think you know they're they're thinking about all these like many worlds theories and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When it when like I said, it, it was it was considered a done problem for forty years, and and now it's come back again. It's, it's kind of cool stuff. 